Jesus, we are not satisfied with where the world is. Maybe not even where our world is. Lord, we see where there's a struggle in our own life. And Lord, we want you to heal us. We want you to be the one that is our Savior, that saves us. And Jesus, we uh, confess, God, that many times in our life, we have put our hope in ourselves. We have put our hope maybe in what we could try to accomplish or, or this world and that this world would just somehow work out good for us. And God, every time we have relied on ourselves, Lord, we've been disappointed. And so, Lord God, we, we pray that your spirit would come and, and would bring to us what we need, that you would bring us peace and joy and love, Father. And we thank you so much, God, that you have a very specific word for each of us in here today. God, that you don't just make us go to church to be bored or to, to try to decipher some bizarre meaning out of some ancient text. But Lord God, you have a very practical truth to give to us today. And I pray that you would give us hearts and minds that are soft to hear and to perceive what you would say to us today. Jesus, all of this is because you died on the cross for our sins. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, today's study is called Show Me How You Believe. Show me how you believe. You might say that you're a Christian, a child of God, a believer. But how do I know if you really are or not? How could you show me that you believe? We don't have, to, we don't have armbands like the Jews during the World War II, that mark us outwardly. We don't all have the same haircut. Praise the Lord. Amen. Got some amens out of that one. We don't all know the secret words or the secret handshakes. So how can I know? A few years after the church began, in the very early times, it became illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. And so the penalty for being a Christian was death. And so the Roman Empire would go throughout a city and they would knock on doors and they would drag people out and they would ask them and say, are you a follower of Jesus? And if a person was brave enough to say, yes, I am, they would be fed to the lions or they would be uh, hung on a cross or burned on a cross or killed in many, many difficult and, and horrible ways. And so as you can imagine, there were many people who decided to lie and say that they didn't follow Jesus. They denied the Lord. Now, does that mean that they weren't saved? You see, it was, a, it was a mistake, absolutely. It was a failure. At that point in their life, when they're denying, their, their, their actions aren't lining up with their faith because they really did believe, or some of them did. And so the next week, they would come into church, the secret underground church, and 
they would show up. And right next to them would be someone whose family was also dragged out, but they had remained faithful. And so maybe the dad had been killed. Or maybe a child had been killed. And, and, and so you had this severe animosity and distrust saying, wait a second, I stood for what I believed in and you didn't. And they called this the lapsed controversy because these certain people lapsed in their faith. They, they failed. They messed up. They didn't have the strength to endure under torture and suffering for the name of Christ. And so they were forced by church leaders, because the church had to figure out what to do. We had all this distrust and all this unforgiveness and bitterness growing in the church. And so the church had, came up with an idea. And the idea that a lot of the churches adopted was this idea of penance. That's where the idea of penance comes from. It was never biblical. It was never in the Bible. The Bible says to forgive and to restore a brother who wants to be forgiven and restored. But they had to try to figure out and weed out, and so I understand what they did. But it never fixed the problem that they had. And for nearly 2,000 years, it's been a snare for people, this idea of penance, thinking that they can fix their own lives through more effort or suffering or sacrifice instead of a spiritual work of Jesus in their hearts. Abraham, we've been studying, he believes in the Lord. We've been told in chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed in the Lord, and so he was saved. The Lord accounted him to that for righteousness. But there have been some real mistakes in Abraham's life, some actions that didn't line up with his beliefs. You could say that he had lapsed. And there were some times he didn't trust in the Lord Sometimes when he tried to get things done in his own strength, the most obvious was his efforts to have a child through Hagar, his maidservant. And now he has Ishmael, that son, who is now 13 years old. And by this time, Abraham might be thinking that God is done speaking with him, that he's messed up too many times, that God has left him now to his own devices. And Abraham needs to be reminded of a few things as we get to the chapter we're in today. And when we drift from God, we always come back when we remember how much we need God and how willing he is to be what we need. So that's our introduction for today. We always will come back to the Lord. If you're a child of God, you will come back to the Lord when you remember how much you need God, and how willing he is to be what you need. So we get now to chapter 17. And he says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. This is where it would be wonderful if we all spoke Hebrew. But... We don't, and so I'll explain to you that I am Almighty God is the words El Shaddai in Hebrew, which mean I am the all-sufficient one, the God of all-sufficiency, the God of all-ability, 
the God of all power to get things done. The God of I know how to make this happen. That's what El Shaddai means. And that's what he comes to Abraham with that message of who he is. He is reminding Abraham how much Abraham needs him and how willing he is to be all that Abraham needs. And he says, walk before me blameless. Abraham, walk before me blameless. And I know the thought that might have gone through your head. Oh, I knew there would be some requirement somewhere at church. I knew that the law was coming. I knew that it was coming. You're saying, walk before me blameless. Does that mean I have to be perfect? Well, count me out. I'm out of here. But the word blameless means wholehearted in the Bible. Wholehearted. God wants Abraham's wholehearted trust. That way, God doesn't want Abraham to sin either. But God takes the responsibility of taking care of Abraham's behavior. He's going to develop Abraham into a man of God. We'll we'll see some amazing things that Abraham's going to do as we get to chapters 21 and 22. But right now, he just wants Abraham's whole heart. He says, walk before me blameless, with no doubt. In all your walking, walk with me. Don't fail to to walk with me, fully trusting me. I can make it happen because I'm the all-sufficient one. And you will be sufficient as you stay close to me. He says, stay before me. Walk before me. That means stay close to me. Stay where I can reach you, see you, and where you can reach me and see me. Any distance between you and me is just going to get you in trouble. That's what God is saying here. Any distance is just going to get you in trouble. Verse 2, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. In other words, I have not forgotten about my promise, God says. God is always bringing us back to the word, always bringing us back to the promise, always bringing us back to what he said before. How many times have we read about this promise as we've been going through this? It's like over and over, God just keeps reminding Abraham. God keeps repeating himself. Why? Because it's simple. He is growing Abraham into a man of faith, a man who hears God's simple promises and believes them. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You guys are becoming well-trained. Without me, you can do nothing. One more time, really loud. Without me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus says to us. And so what does Abraham do? It says, verse 3, Abram fell on his face. He responds with humility towards God's graciousness, God's love. And when we believe and receive the promises of God, it puts in our hearts humility. It puts our hearts in the right place. When we remember God's word, when we say, oh yeah, I I forgot. I can believe and trust in God in this situation. So many times we let our situations consume our mind and the thoughts that bounce back and forth. And before we know it, we're consumed with stress. I had a situation like that this week that I just, I had a a issue come up and and a challenge. And I was just, I saw myself starting to spiral out of control. And I told my wife, I said, I am going to trust in God. 
She's like, okay, what are you talking about? Well, I have something going around in my mind, but there's nothing I can do about it, I know. But I'm going to keep thinking about it if I don't outwardly say right now, I'm going to trust in what God's already told us. And we talked about that, and it put us back in the right place where we were in humility just saying, God, what could I do to fix this? Nothing. So I'm going to trust you. And God talked with him saying, verse 4, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, and your name shall be called Abraham. Finally, we get to that message, and I don't have to always keep going back and forth between Abram and Abraham, because preaching, you just can't figure it out (laughs) that it's Abram, and then it changes to Abraham. So now I can just call him Abraham for the rest of our time in Genesis. I'm pretty excited about that. He says, For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give you to you and your descendants after you in the land, the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. But as we've seen, Abram didn't have any kids. He didn't have any kids. So it was kind of like a name without a reality or, or like a glove without a hand. In the New Testament, we could say it's a form of godliness yet without the power. And his name gets changed to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. And this means that he is now the real deal. He is actually fruitful. He doesn't just have a name that he's fruitful. He actually is fruitful. He is truly a spiritual man bearing real fruit to God. Abraham's new identity speaks of his true life that is flowing out of a real and true relationship with God. Jesus is actually changing who he is, changing his very nature. He no longer just has a name but he actually is going to be fruitful. Just like in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. As we come to Jesus in faith, believing in his power and sacrifice, he does a creative work inside us. Just like when he created the world out of nothing, he produces a new life and he, he, he produces a new identity in our hearts. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it even says he gives us a new name. He'll give you a new name that describes who you are truly in him. The fruitfulness that God has truly designed for your life. And I'm so excited to find out what my new name is going to be. Verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant to you and your descendants after you throughout the generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child shall be circumcised. 
and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money or from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And this uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is the very first thing that Abraham has ever been told to do in relationship with the covenant of God. This is the very first thing that he's ever been told to do. Remember that God signed this covenant he divided the, the animals, and God walked through it all by himself. He wouldn't let Abraham take part in the setting up of this contract. And so, we could think then, okay, well, this is Abraham's half of the covenant. But this is not his half of the covenant. It is a sign that he believes and receives the covenant. It has nothing to do with how Abraham gets into the covenant. How did that happen? He believed. That's how he entered into the covenant. So, it's a sign. God had already given the terms and signed it with blood and promised to fulfill every single part of it. Abraham only needs to believe to enter into it. Yet God now asks him to show a sign that he believes probably to give Abraham a, an outward reminder of his inward trust in God. Just like when I was 12, I went to a swimming pool, and Pastor Brian dunked me under and baptized me. Did that save me? No. But it was an outward sign of an inward belief and faith that I had. It's a sign that would make them, the people of Israel, it would make them outwardly different and set them apart from the world. It's a sign that would make them more sensitive. It's a sign that has to do with procreation, which would be cons a consistent reminder of the promised son that would be a savior, the life that would come. It's a sign that cut away the flesh which symbolized Abraham's dependence on his fleshly efforts to please God or inherit the promises by his efforts. Like when he tried to have a child with Hagar. It's a sign that was a shadow of the realities that would come with Jesus. This is amazing. This sign of circumcision. In Galatians 6.15, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But what does? He says, but a new creation. A new creation is really what God is going for. He doesn't really care about the sign. He cares about the new creation. Notice, all things are, have been made new with Abraham. We already looked at the other verse that talks about new creation. Now we see that it's really related with this circumcision thing, this new creation. It, it makes us different. A new creation is a, a different thing. If you were to create a hippopotamus, 
like we sang about, is a very different thing from a snail. Wildly different. And that's how different a Christian, a believer is from an unbeliever. Because all of the same things that circumcision did happen in our heart. Number one, we become sensitive to the Spirit. Sensitive to the Spirit. Sensitivity. That's what they got with circumcision. We get the same thing. In Romans 8.14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We can be led by the Spirit. We can be sensitive. Wait, wait, hold on. I need to stop. I, I need to pray for this person that just came up in my mind. You know? Number two, that, that whole procreation part of it, it was related to that, the circumcision. And so life was coming out of it. It had to do with life being brought forth. Well, guess what? Jesus comes out of our life. Our circumcision. What makes us different from the world? Jesus is seen in your life. Jesus is birthed in your life. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that's coming out of me is now Jesus. It's being birthed in me. The flesh was cut off in circumcision. Well, our flesh is also crucified. We never trust in it again. We cut off that trust. We renounce our dependency upon the flesh. Our efforts avail nothing. Romans 8.3, for what the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Chop. And also Romans 13.14, but put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Chop. Cut it off. We have no dependency on our abilities to do what's right. We trust in Jesus alone. So we have to go to him. We have to ask him. We have to pray. It's a life source that comes through us. Well, we are different from the world because we don't trust in our flesh. We are different from the world because we renounce dependency on the flesh. The world says, you can do it. And we say, no, I can't. But Jesus can through me. It's very important. We, the, the, the fourth, am I, four or five? What am I on? Four, I think. Fourth thing. We are not a shadow, we are not a shadow of Jesus, but the real Jesus lives in us and indwells us. Colossians 127 says, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mis this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What makes us different? What's a sign that we're different? Is that Jesus is actually living in you. Actually living in you. Literally living in you. Verse 15, back in Genesis. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Amen. There is just a subtle difference in these names in Hebrew. One is princess. They both mean princess. But one name means princess 
of one family, and one means princess of the whole world. Verse 16, And I will bless her, and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings and people shall be from her. This is still the promise that God is referring to. You shouldn't have tried to find fulfillment apart from your wife, Abraham. God is very clear here. Abraham, when you slept with, Sarah, with uh, Hagar, you really screwed up. You really messed up. You were trying to obtain the promises. But Abraham, I'm calling you on the carpet right now. That was 13 years ago. But I don't know if Abraham had really dealt with it with God. And maybe there's things in your life from a long time ago where you really messed up. That has, you have to come to the Lord and speak with him about it. He doesn't want you to try to make up for it. He doesn't want you to spend years and years and years ignoring him about it. We have to humble ourselves and come and bring in repentance and say, God, I messed up. I see that I chose to go my own way. And I've been, I've been putting it out of my mind. I've been trying to forget about it, or I've been trying to fix the issue, or fix the problem. I've been living with Ishmael in my life. And we can't do that. We have to repent and say, even though it was a long time ago, God, I humble myself before you and I agree with you. It was my flesh. I should not have done it. Abraham, you should not have tried for, to find fulfillment apart from your wife. She's the one that God chose for you. Many marriages today are headed for divorce because they don't believe God is in it anymore. They look at their idiot husband or their selfish wife and they can't imagine that God wants them to stay with that. I didn't hear any amens and I'm glad about that. <laughs> or they think that it's how they came together. Maybe it was full of sin. Maybe it was not the way it was supposed to be. Maybe they were not meant to be together. Maybe you slept together before you got married. And you know that that dishonors God. We can't run away from that. We have to come to God and say, God, I sinned in this. God doesn't, again, he's not, gonna, he's not trying to punish you for it. He already punished Jesus for you. He doesn't want it between you guys anymore. He wants everything to be open and clear between him and you and your spouse. You know, marriage is, when, you, when you stop believing that your spouse is the only one for you, your marriage is basically over. And I've seen that happen. Let me answer this question as clear as possible. When you got married, that person became God's will for your life. The fastest way to get your marriage to go down the tubes is to believe that God might have someone out there for you. No. There is no one that's better for you. He does not have someone out there better for you. Every other man or woman is not his will for your life. 
and you're fighting against the will of God in your life if you seek something besides your wife or your husband. They are all Hagar's. All of them. They might be cute, foreign, even a believer, but it will bring a curse upon your soul. And I get it that your spouse might not make you happy right now. Maybe it's tough, but that's okay. It's suffering, you say. My home, you have no idea what my home life is. It sucks. Well, I want to remind you of what Peter said. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, let us arm ourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Then he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, rivalries, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Don't give up on your marriage. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins, even in your marriage. Even in your cruddy marriage. Verse 17, then Abraham, after God dealt with him about the issue of his infidelity, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? There's so many things that are blowing Abraham's mind and blessing his heart right now. Number one, that God has forgiven him of committing adultery, that, that God dealt with it. Number two, that God is still going to do a miracle in his life. Isaac is going to be the son, and Isaac is the Hebrew word for laughter. Abraham's really blown away. He, he, I believe, or he believes, and, but he is kind of shocked that God would wait until the circumstances were this crazy to fulfill the promises. You know, Abraham, he's like, okay, God, but this is wild that you would do this in my life. Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, yeah, I already have a son, God. Abraham really loved Ishmael. But no matter how how much he wanted his little work of the flesh to be blessed, it can't be. It can't be. It's not the fulfillment of the promise. It is not born by the power of God. It was born by Abraham's efforts. Well, Abraham did a good job. It's still not God's promise. 
And that's how the world gets so confused. And even a lot of believers, is they think, but look, I've done a good job in my life. I've tried really hard. Look at, look at, I've done this. I started this nonprofit. I did these great things. I've done this. Isn't God happy with me? And God's like, no. You did not source them through me. You sourced them through your, your flesh. And your flesh is marred with sin. And so anything your flesh produces is messed up. And I don't know if I could see how it was all messed up, but God can. Because sin touched it. But the things his spirit starts, they do not get messed up. His spirit does a great job. Nothing we ever do in our own power is blessed by God. It's harsh, but true. And it's not the American church way of thinking, but it is the biblical way of thinking. But like Abraham, we love our self-efforts. We've been trained to love them ever since our parents first said, Great job, sweetie. Awesome job. Your efforts accomplished many great things. And we become fond of our self-sourced products. It's our own, our precious. What is Gollum's favorite bird? A smeagol. Think about it. You'll get it. Verse 19, then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Isaac is the line of the Jews, okay? The people God set apart to carry his message and out of which the Messiah would come. Why can't it be Ishmael? This is a very important picture for the future that, that God is, and God is protecting his picture. It has to be by the Spirit. We can have victory in no other way. Abraham had to wait for God to fulfill his promises, and he can't do it himself. Galatians 5, verse 16 and verse 25. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Isaac is going to be a picture of the Spirit. Ishmael is going to be a picture of the flesh. And this is going to go on for several chapters. We're going to have this illustration given to us. And it, it comes up many times in the New Testament as well. Isaac is a picture of walking in the Spirit. Isaac, he never tries to be born. He's just born. His mom was old. His dad was basically dead. And Isaac was still born. Isaac still got the birthright. Isaac still got the inheritance. And you know how hard he tried to get any of those things? He didn't. And it's a picture of the Spirit. He received promises because he's believed. Ishmael, we've seen his character already described. He's very strong-willed, and he knows how to fight men to get what he wants. And, and that's been his picture. That's the picture of the flesh, knowing how to get things done. Romans 8.1 and 8.4 say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, like Ishmael, but according to the Spirit, like Isaac. Verse 4, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
God's will in your life and God's righteousness is going to be accomplished in your life by the Spirit and not by the flesh. It has to be that way. It has to. It seems impossible that we have to walk with a trust in an invisible spirit in order to have victory. Just like Abraham had believed these invisible promises to see, he had to believe them in order to see a literal son be born from his body. But that's how the spirit works. It's invisible. So verse 20, it is as for Ishmael, I have heard you. And behold, I have blessed him and will make him exceedingly fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. Ishmael becomes the father, like I've said, of all the Arab peoples. It's another promise fulfilled. Whenever you see that all the Arabs exist, remember, ah, that's a promise from God that he fulfilled. So he is going to answer me when I pray and he is going to speak to me when I read the Bible because I look on the news and I see Arabs. Isn't that crazy? The fact that they exist proves to me that God answers his promises and God does his word. So when I read his Bible, he will speak to me. That's amazing. That's amazing. But verse 21, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And, he shall, and, and then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham finally gets a date. So what's cool is that Abraham is invincible until that happens. I bet he went sky jumping, bungee jumping, and any other dangerous thing he wanted to do because he knew that he was invincible, which is exactly true for you as well. You are invincible until, I'm not saying go bungee jumping, but you're invincible truly until God is done with you. Don't be foolish. Your pastor didn't say go walk in the middle of the street. But God will protect you. There is nothing to fear when you're walking with the Lord. And we know during this time he went on some dates with Sarah, so that's pretty good. Got a kid next year. Verse 23, so Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money and every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins, foreskins that very same day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. So Abraham, he wastes no time. He acts in accordance with his faith. He already knew that he was going to obey because he believed. He performs an outward sign of his inward faith. He takes God at his word and he shows that his own faith is real. He proves his faith. Whenever he looks back or down he can now be reminded of the promises he believes in. He believes. Aren't you glad that the sign of faith for us in this age is baptism? We have baptism services and not circumcision services. I'm so glad. <laughs> it would just be weird. Because the truth is that we're already getting circumcised in our hearts. 
Some say that circumcision was in the Old Testament and it was all about the outward work of cutting off the skin. That it was simply a ritual to follow that got you access into God's nation. A task to accomplish, a bloody work to do. And when you did it, you were in, in the club. No way you can go back to not being cut, right? It was like getting a tattoo on your forehead saying, I'm on team God. But the truth is that it did not gain anyone entrance into God's kingdom. Deuteronomy chapter 10 explains it to us in verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your hearts, God said, and be stiff-necked no longer. Wait, what? How can I do that? How can I take a knife and circumcise my heart? By faith, like Abraham did, trusting God and cutting away dependence on self. That's how circumcision of the heart happens. That's the real salvation. That's the real entrance into God's kingdom is having the heart circumcised. Deuteronomy chapter 13, he says, Abraham's like, how would I do that? Or the people in Deuteronomy, how would we possibly circumcise our heart? God says in Deuteronomy 30, and the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul that you may live. When you do have faith, trust God, he will do the work for you because you can't do it yourself. There's a reason your heart is on the inside of your body and you can't see it or get to it. It's because God wanted to protect you from it because you're not a good heart surgeon. He is. And he says, it's a work only I can do, so I'm going to put your heart inside your body so that you know it has to be an inside work. You can't just get in through an outside work. How can you show me that you believe? That's the title of our message today. By being circumcised by Jesus in your heart. Well, how do I see that? What does that look like? What does that look like to be circumcised by Jesus? Well, your heart will trust in the Lord. You will, deep inside, you will have faith. Because that's the gift. Faith. And on the outside, that's on the inside. And I can't see that, but it'll be there. And on the outside, your life will honor God consistently. And let me give you four ways, maybe a few more. But number one, you will confess the Lord. Number two, you're, you'll be baptized. Jesus said be baptized. Well, you know what? I believe Jesus, so I'm going to be baptized. Number three, you'll remain with him. In other words, you'll abide. Your life will look like, hey, you're always with Jesus. Yeah, when I wake up, I spend time with him. When I go to bed, I'm thinking about him. During the day, I don't forget about him. That's abiding. I'm his child, and I really think about that. When I sin, I confess it to him. I repent. And the fourth thing that you'll see is you'll see fruit. You will bear fruit. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at it real quick. In him, you were also circumcised. What? 
In Jesus, Paul says, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Oh, that internal heart one, yes. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So how do you show me that you believe? You put off that body of sins of the flesh, it says here. Like a prisoner whose chains have been undone, they just need to throw them off. That's how we treat our old sinful habits and desires. We, or you can think about it like this. You hold them underwater until they stop struggling. And then they come off real easy that way. You abide in the death of Jesus. You, when you struggle with sin, keep your eyes focused on the cross. All sin is killed there. Nailed to the cross. It only works when we do it by the circumcision of Christ. It's his work in you. It's his power at work in you. His spirit does the cutting into our heart. Working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. You abide and he works. You spend time in the word, he cuts. He cuts off those sinful desires. You abide in baptism daily, dying to your own desires. That's what baptism pictures, right? You die, you go down. My old life, I die to my sin. And you let his power raise you back up like it raised Jesus back up. Baptism is the is a one-time event that is symbolic of a daily lifestyle of death to ourselves and life in Jesus. It is awesome. It is awesome. We can prove that we are a follower of Christ. If he is living in us, he is doing the work of circumcising our hearts. It's very real. Will you stand with me? Please stand up. I'm going to read one more verse to you as we close and as we're going to sing a song and we're going to come to take communion. Our next baptism is June 6th. And if you have not been baptized, you got to get baptized. You got to show us how you believe. I know that Jesus is already doing a great work in our church and in our hearts of circumcising us. And sometimes that's painful. I'm sure it hurt Abraham and his men. I'm sure some of them weren't even too happy with him at that point. Because the work of God in your heart can sometimes hurt. But it's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be afraid of. So we're going to ask the Lord to search our hearts right now and show us if there's any sin. Show us if there's any, any wicked way in us. And we're going to come and we're going to take his body and we're going to eat it. We're going to remember how he was broken for us. We're going to take the cup. We're going to remember his life poured into us, for us. And it might hurt. But they can say anything about our church that they want, but I don't pray that no one will ever say that we're shallow or fake. We're not going to fake it. If there's anything in your life that you need pray for, come and pray, pray with me. And I'm just going to take you to Jesus. If you want to just go to Jesus where you're at, then go to Jesus where you're at. But we refuse 
to be shallow. We refuse to be fake. We are going to surrender our life to him. Amen? I'm going to read this verse. It's Romans 6, 4. And as you're in your anchor groups this week, and as you go through those questions, you're going to spend time in Romans chapter 6. And this is one of the key verses. It says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Abraham is experiencing that. You and I today can walk in newness of life. How? Just try a little harder. No. <laughs> Good job. No, we don't try a little harder. We trust him. We, we allow him to raise us up from the dead. We abide in baptism. We die to ourselves. We say, I got nothing, God. I'm, wor- I'm worthless in the eternal things, and spiritual things. I have no value when it comes to those things, but yet you assign to me the value of your son. That's the value he gives us. So good. So good the Lord is to us. June 6th is our next baptism. We're going to have a party like you wouldn't believe. We're going to hold some people down of a long time. We're going to see what kind of death they can abide. We're going to see God... The, the work that God is doing outwardly played out. It is so good to be with you guys today. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you in simplicity. Lord, we're, we're not afraid of the scalpel, the sharp knife that you, we, you yield. Lord, the skill of a doctor is what gives us confidence that they could operate on us. And Father, your skill in our hearts is to create in us righteousness and to cut away our flesh, to make us sensitive to your spirit. Jesus, we all stand here before you, Lord God, because we're engaged. We are here for you. Lord, I lift my hands to you, asking and calling upon you to continue working by your Holy Spirit in my heart causing me to trust in you, never in a building, never in a strategy, never in the way another church is doing it, but only Jesus Christ and you, my Savior, who died on the cross for me and bled for me. Help me to keep my focus on you. I thank you, God, for forgiving my sin. And if anyone in here has yet to trust in Jesus to forgive their sin, and they really feel like today is a day they just need to know that all their sin is forgiven, and you believe that Jesus Christ has offered to you forgiveness by being a substitute on the cross for your sins, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus to forgive me. Lord, we wait upon you. We're going to sing this song, Lord, with all our hearts. We're going to come to take communion and we're going to remind our own souls what you mean to us. We're going to remind ourselves how much we need you and then we're going to remind ourselves how willing you are to be what we need. Jesus, I pray we would throw aside anything that hinders. 
If there's anything that's a distraction in our lives, God, cut it off. In our hearts, cut it off. Circumcise our hearts, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.